Philippians 3, when you uh, read the Word of God and get familiar with it, just it's all the Word of God, it's all equally inspired, but there are certain passages that uh, speak to you more and are real precious to you, and uh, Philippians 3 is sure one of those for me. And here is uh, Paul, our example, our spokesman, our uh, main teacher for the church age, and he gives us some real insight into his life, and uh, Paul had a real good background, had a real good origin in a lot of ways, but sometimes your strength can be your weakness because you put so much confidence in yourself and what you're so strong in that you can't let the Lord lead and you can't admit in those places where you are wrong. Some of the hardest people to get saved are the ones who are, in a manner of speaking, almost there. They've been in church all their lives and they've heard the gospel and they know that all they have to do is believe and there is a sense in which they do believe. You know, they've heard ever since they as kids that God inspired the Bible and God created the world and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day, so they figure it must be true. And uh, they've never trusted the Lord as their Savior personally, even though they believe it in the sense that we all believe George Washington was our first president. You know, they just, you know, I wasn't there, but that's what I've always heard, so it must be true. That's, that's not exactly saving belief. Amen. Devil believes that. Is he saved? <laughs> Um, and Paul had exactly what God had given in the Old Testament, didn't he? We didn't have the New Testament yet at the time of uh, Paul's conversion, certainly not a complete New Testament. What little bit of New Testament there was was not widely circulated, and Paul had done tremendous with the Old Testament. I mean, it's great. He could argue, he, he'd studied all that stuff. He could argue you down and prove where he was right. And the Lord had to overcome some things. And when you got somebody that's that sure they're right, it takes a vision from heaven to straighten them out. Amen. And Paul had to get knocked down where he couldn't eat for a couple days and blind for a couple days and somebody leading by the hand. God has to, when you're, when you're that sure you're right, it takes something drastic. Somebody's not going to just, you know, explain something to you and you go, oh, I see now. <laughs> it's, it's, going, it's going to take a harder slap upside the head than just that. When you're that sure you're right. And uh, I've seen that truth of plenty of Baptists, including myself, a couple times. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless." Now, buddy, that's, a, that's hard to live up to. Amen. Yeah. Have you read that law? 
And here's a guy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Now how in the world are you going to convince a guy like that he's wrong? <laughs> You'll have to knock him down and blind him and mess him up a few days to even get his attention. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. There's the key. When you get right, it's because you want a better, closer relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because you keep the commandments. And don't get me wrong, keeping those commandments are important. The Lord put a lot of commandments in this Bible. He sure wasted his time if he didn't care anything about commandments. But they're secondary. Number one is, obviously, trusting the Lord as your Savior. Number two is your relationship to Him. If you trust Him as your Savior, number one, and stay close to Him in your friendship and love, number two, the commandments fall in place a whole lot easier. And if you're trying to keep commandments and you and Him aren't close, boy, are you ever fighting a losing battle. So that's the key is verse 10, that I may know Him. Verse 11, if, I, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Once in a while you'll get on a hobby horse and you'll get all fired up about a certain thing. There will be a certain kind of music that you decide is just bringing the end to the world. <laughs> there will be... A certain thing that if people wear that type of clothing, oh, it just shows how dirty and sinful we are. There'll be a certain type of entertainment or a certain type of language, and don't get me wrong, I believe in all these things. You know me, I preach standards, I believe them. But you'll, they turn into a kind of a hobby horse with you. It certainly happened to me. And uh, once in a while, you get so busy on those things, you forget pointing to Jesus Christ. Amen. We've all done that. And I've talked to pastors that have pastored for years and years, well-known pastors in the Bible-believing circles that give you know, over a million dollars to missions per year and all the wonderful things that they do. And they've talked many times about how it seems like they'll go for a while and the place is just coming apart at their church and they'll start preaching standards and rules to try to straighten everybody back up. And they say they need to. If they don't, the place just goes completely to the world. And then after they do that for a while, everybody gets stuck on that, and then they start preaching personal relationship a little bit more. And you kind of got to go back and forth. And the reason you do is we just got a bunch of people that just want to do whatever their flesh says. And it gets cool sometimes to say, well, don't worry. 
my heart is right. I have a really, I love, I love the Lord and I love people. So it's okay if I do all this stuff. <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. Paul said, I keep under my flesh and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There comes times you've got to do that. But then it also says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You keep rest, reaching for him and getting closer to him. And if in any other way you get another minded, God will reveal that even to you. He'll say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, you've been talking about those rules a good long time. But when are me and you getting together? <laughs> and it's a, it's a constant balancing act. And there are a lot of things in life that are that way. All right, uh, back to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. He says, all right, now the things you did get victory over, let's not go back to them, okay? Let's not be a sow returning to her wallowing in the mire and a dog returning to his vomit. The stuff you beat, keep it beat. <laughs> Don't go back to it. All right, verse... Um, 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. said, you see me? He was so confident in his walk, he said, follow me. Do like I do. Now that's, that's a scary thing. Paul didn't mean that he had attained sinless perfection so you could do every little thing just like him with a magnifying glass on it. What he meant was his direction of life. We've got some people in this church that I do not mean that you can put a microscope on them, follow them all every second of every minute of every hour of every day, and do everything just like them. Obviously, there's no human like that. We've got some people in this church whose general direction of life is toward the Lord Jesus. Amen. You can mark them and you can notice the general direction. They're not a slave to this world. They're not a slave to this flesh. Thank God they're not a slave to the devil. You can follow their general direction. So Paul says, follow me and notice the others that are like I'm telling you and follow them. Uh, it is important to read your Bible and pray. I talk about Bible reading and prayer and hearing from God all the time. But it sure helps to have some people around that are pointing you right to. There is something missing in your Christian life if you don't have fellowship. Iron sharpeneth iron, and that does you good. So Paul says, notice verse 18, here's the other side of it. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Who, Paul, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. All right, now what, what went on here? Paul went from trusting his origin trust in his destiny. And a big thing right now in psychology, talking about all the things you get from your family of origin. So I'm going to preach tonight on how Paul overcame his origin. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you will come down and bear witness to the truth tonight and help us to see these things. Lord, help us to learn things so that we can 
put some things behind us that we need to put behind us and get focused on heading closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ until he come. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. I don't want to say tonight that Paul thought constantly about who and what he wanted to be instead of what he was or used to be. And the thing for you to do is press on and press forward and think about where you're headed more than where you came from. Now, where you came from has some importance. And Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament didn't hurt him. But boy, Paul's confidence in that Old Testament doggedly sticking to that Old Testament where he was persecuting the people that were preaching the New Testament. Now, that was a problem. So let's look at this uh, passage and see how Paul did this. All right, the first thing I notice in verses 3 to 6 is Paul's confidence. Paul's confidence. Uh, if you wanted to have confidence in your flesh, if you wanted to notice, oh, look, I got it under control. I'm doing, I've, I've defeated the flesh. Paul had more reason than anybody else for fleshy confidence. He says in the middle of verse 4, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul said, you want to trust in your flesh and the fact that you can you know, make yourself stop eating at a certain point or stop drinking at a certain point or have the self-discipline to stop every bad habit you've ever got? Don't you wish we all had a better dose of that? But Paul said, you think you, you're doing good with that? Son, I buried all of you. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. I mean, he had reason for confidence. Because of his birth as an Israelite, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day because of his circumcision, which signifies being set apart for God. There was something different about the Jews there that were circumcised. Amen. Amen. It was a mark that, hey, this is my people. They're, they're not like everybody else. They're for God. And it signifies their obedience. Dad brought out in Sunday school this morning how that the, the day Abraham got that command, he went and did it. Man alive, can you imagine that? I mean, he didn't go get a second opinion. He didn't go get uh, advice from his doctor. He didn't pray about it. Don't you know a lot of people would have prayed about that particular command before they'd have done it that same day? Abraham, but he got a command from God and went and obeyed it right then. That's a tremendous thing. His birth as an Israelite, his circumcision, his tribe, Benjamin. The first king of Israel was taken from the tribe of Benjamin. The nearest uh, tribe to Jerusalem was Benjamin. He says, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was more Hebrew than most Hebrews. Look at uh, verse 5. And Hebrew of the Hebrews. So in other words, if you got a bunch of Hebrews together and asked who's the most Hebrew around here, <laughs> they appointed to Saul of Tarsus. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. What, uh, what do they call Abraham? Abraham the Hebrew. Or Abram the Hebrew. He wasn't even Abraham, I think, at that point. If that weren't enough, he joined up with the strictest bunch of Jews he could find. The strictest Hebrews he could find. The Pharisees. Verse 5, he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee. But when you got serious about the law, there wasn't nobody could touch the Pharisees. 
I mean, they had it all down. They not only had down all the laws, they had a bunch of things in place to keep you from even maybe breaking one of the laws. Look at the Lord Jesus and what he says about the Pharisees here. Matthew 23, verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. He said, now those Pharisees, they have it down to the point that if they tell you to do something, you need to do it. Now he did say, he did go on to say in the rest of the verse, to be fair, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. <laughs> he said, now what they're telling you is right. What they're doing is wrong. Sounds like some conservative Republicans I know. <laughs> they give a great speech. <laughs> oh boy, they're going to stand for some things. And they vote for it, you know, like 90% of the time. But every time there's a real vote up that really is going to make a difference, oh, well, they vote the wrong yeah, that time. And if you fuss at them about it, they said, what? We voted that way 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, but on the one that really counted, you voted with the liberals, jerk. <laughs> So Jesus said, oh, now what the Pharisees are saying, great. You be sure and observe and do it. But boy, don't you do like they're doing. So Paul went and joined up with the group that Jesus himself said, yeah, you do what they're saying. Uh, he was zealous to the point of persecuting the church. He said, not only am I sure of this for myself, I'm going to make sure everybody else does it. The term in our day is a caring. <laughs> Some woman that notices what everybody else is doing and turns them in if they're not, <laughs> and calls calls somebody on, turns them into the you know um, property owners association <laughs> or whatever. They don't have their decorations in their yard just right, and so I just want to tell them <laughs> that's a Karen. So, buddy, when you didn't uh, when you didn't do what the Pharisees expected. Paul didn't think it was just good enough to just shake his head and think about how righteous he was. He put you in jail, man or woman, and persecute you. I mean, I, I'll give him this. He was real zealous for it. Let's, let's look at his wording of how he says that he did these things. Let's see, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I mean, he not only threatened them, he intended to slaughter them. You know what it looks like when you slaughter an animal? <laughs> Hunks of skin and fat and blood and bodily fluids go everywhere. It is a gross killing. <laughs> it, is, it is not a nice, you know, one shot to the head. It's not an electric chair or a lethal injection, you know, to be more humane. You just kill them and you couldn't care what a, that, what a mess it makes. Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Good night. He wasn't going to have any mercy. He was so sure he was right. He's going to make sure they paid the price and they paid dearly for it. You zealous about anything uh, to that extent? Look down at verse uh, 14, Acts 9, or I'll read it to you. And, he, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Read verse uh, 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Even after he got saved, they said, Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy that was 
destroying us over this. I mean, he was zealous about it. He decided it was right. He was going to force it to the point of beatings, prison, killing if necessary. I mean, he, he meant business. He really believed it. And then, of course, that great phrase I've already mentioned that really takes it over the top, where he says at the end of verse 6, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, here's a guy who had confidence in himself. I mean, he was sure he was right. All right, but let's look at the counting now in verses 7 to 13. The confidence in verses 3 to 6, the counting in verse 7 to 13. He says here, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, All that confidence I had, all that sure I was right, I was. Jesus is a hit of all of those things. And I just counted all that loss for him. That's a great thing. It's one thing to give up something that doesn't mean much to you for Jesus. But buddy, when you give up that which your whole life has been based on for Jesus, you know what you're showing? You're showing he's more important than you. Including the Old Testament scriptures that came from God. Now, you and I know now that they were in the process of writing and later would be compiling the New Testament. We know that. But early on, Saul wasn't sure of that at all. It took a direct contact from God for Saul to be changed. So what did he do when he became convinced that Jesus was the Christ and the Son of God? He counted a bunch of things lost. All these things were gained to me. This was what he had based his life on. This was the way his future was going. This was what his trust was in. This was what he fought for. This is what he was willing to persecute people for. This is what he was so sure was right and he counted that all loss for Jesus Christ. Now how much more should we take the silly things, the piddly things, the things that would really be better for us if we'd give them up anyway and give those up for Jesus Christ? When's the last thing you gave up for Jesus Christ? When's the last time you took a whole day and didn't need a bite of food to spend time with Jesus Christ? When's the last time you took a whole day and said, you know what, I'm not even going to look social media. I'm not going to play my game or watch my ball game for Jesus Christ. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to drink a carbonated beverage or caffeine or eat sugar today to get all serious to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul could give up what his whole life was based on, how much more should we give up something silly that really is better for us to if we gave it up anyway? What did he give up? What things were gained to me? Uh, verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. He said anything you want to come up with isn't as important as Jesus Christ. All things. And then he says, For the knowledge of Christ Jesus, uh, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. By the way, if you suffer the loss of all things, be sure it wasn't because you was just stupid in the way you spent, or stupid in the way you ate, or stupid in the way you spent your time, spent your money, spent your efforts. Be sure it's for something worthwhile. I hurt when I think of the people that have given their lives to protect our freedoms. 
But it's an honorable thing that you give your life for somebody's freedom. But what about when you give your life just for something silly, something flippant? That's a shame. We say that's a waste. It's not worth dying for. Paul gave up that which was gained to him. Paul gave up all things. He suffered loss, true, but it was for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But he went further than that. He didn't just count them loss. He didn't just say, I'm fine without them. He said, I don't even have any use for them. Up beside Jesus Christ, they're dumb. They're manure. How do you like to keep dumb or manure around? Is that pleasant? <laughs> when you see how great and valuable the Lord Jesus Christ is, all the things that used to be so precious to you right beside Him, they're not only lost, you're not only willing to do without them, you wouldn't have them. That's something you throw out. In comparison to Christ, verse 8. Then again in verses 10 and 11. Why? Because I can know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be made conformable to his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There was something Paul was shooting for. In comparison to Christ, but there was one thing in particular that he definitely didn't want anything to do with, and that is his self-righteousness. Verse 9, in this same context of counting things but dumb, he says, I'm going to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So in that same context of dumb, in the same sentence that he says dumb, he says, I don't want my righteousness, which is of the law. Well, buddy, that's a big difference. That's all he had lived for. I mean, he had put some effort into that. If you can honestly say, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless, buddy, you, you pretty much obsessed over that. And now he's saying, I don't even care about that. As a matter of fact, it's gross to me. It's like dumb. Now that's a repentance, if there's ever been one. That is a complete change of mind. So he counted it, everything lost. He counted it but done. But still, he says, but I have not yet apprehended. He doesn't say, all right, well, buddy, I had it right. I had my confidence all in that law, but now it's in Jesus. So now I'm just as sure I'm right with Jesus as I was under that law before. No, watch, he, watch him stay humble here. That is the great difference between somebody who is close to Jesus Christ and somebody who's keeping the law. Somebody who's keeping the law gets remarkably proud of what a great job they Amen. Somebody who gets close to Jesus Christ stays remarkably humble because they see such a big difference between him and them. Amen. Different attitude. Different attitude. The guy who was so sure he was right about the law now has found something way better than the law and yet is very humble about it. Look at his wording here. He says, uh, verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. So he says, not attained, not perfect, 
nor apprehended yet, because he's getting there. So I looked up that word apprehended or attained. It means succeeded in achieving something that one desires and has worked for. He says, I'm not there. I'm not where I need to be in what I'm working for. Now, he was confident enough to tell them, hey, you follow me and other people that are headed this direction, but you follow us for our direction that we're headed, not that we're already there. Sometimes we decide to take a trip and other family members are going and we can't all fit in one car, and so we follow the leader that's been there before. That doesn't mean they're already there yet. It means we're going to follow them as they go, provided they're headed the right direction. That's the way Paul's telling them to follow. He said, I'm not, I'm not attained, I'm not perfect, I'm not apprehended. But here's an important key that he does give at the end of verse 13. For as you go forward, he says, forgetting those things which are behind. I've been on a trip before, and I needed to make some good time, but there was something behind me I couldn't let go of. There have been times that we were going someplace, and one of those kids left something in the bathroom at the restaurant we were just at, and now I had to turn back and go get the thing. <laughs> you know why I couldn't go forward? Because of something that was behind me. There have been times I was on a trip, and I couldn't remember for sure if I had taken the right turn back there. You know why I couldn't keep going forward? Because there was something I hadn't settled about something back there. Let me tell you what will happen in your Christian life sometimes. You'll stop going forward because you're still worried about something back there. Good point. Somebody left something in the bathroom or maybe you took a wrong turn. There is nothing that will run you crazy and keep you from just heading forward for the Lord and worrying about something back there. So this virgin has a great sermon on it called The Wandering Bird. <laughs> the Wandering Bird. He tries this a while and he gets thinking, oh no, maybe that wasn't right. So he tries this a while, oh no, maybe that wasn't right. He tries this a while, oh no, that maybe wasn't right. And let me tell you something, humans. It ain't never gonna be right. Down here on this earth, you're not going to be right. Your loved ones ain't going to be right. I hate to admit it, but your preacher ain't going to be right. Your country ain't going to be right. Your every, everything is all wrong. If you keep worrying about every little detail back there, you'll never go forward. At some point, you got to say, well, Lord, you know I was sincere as I knew how to be. I'm sure some of those were a mistake. Some of them weren't. I'll just beat my brains out worrying about it. I'm going to try my best to go forward for you. You know, Saul definitely could have, of course, Paul now, but I'm thinking back to when he was Saul, he definitely could have beat himself to death for that. Oh, yeah. Thinking of all the Christians that he had put in jail and probably had beaten and maybe separated from their family and maybe died in jail and never got to see their kids ever again. And Don't you know that tore up his conscience? Now listen, some of us have made some mistakes and we can sit and worry about them all day and all night and cry ourselves to sleep about them and, and we should repent of them and we should be sorry for them. But there also should come a time we go forward for God. You know what Paul says here? He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. There are some things back behind you that you never can make right. That window of opportunity is gone. 
But I'll say this. If you'll keep going forward for God, you'll be surprised sometimes he'll bring an opportunity around for you to make some of those things right. But I'll tell you one place you'll never make it right is sitting on the couch crying about it. You won't ever get nowhere that way. Forgetting those things which are behind. That's his counting. Now let's look at his calling. Verses 12 and 16. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. So this requires some forward action. This requires the counting the loss in the previous point. This requires following after. This requires reaching forth. This requires press toward. Look at these action verbs as we call them in school. Follow after. Reaching forth. Press toward. That implies some force going against you. For you to have to press on something. It requires maintaining some things you've already got, you've got to hold on to them. Ah, oh, what a good illustration of this children can be. You've got a child you're pulling behind you. You've got a child in this arm. And you've got another child you're telling, look out, don't step out in the road till you look. You know, I've done that before where I've had one behind me and one in my arms and, and another one I was barking orders to. And then, of course, with the twins, sometimes I had one in each arm. I remember what that was like. Let me tell you something about the Christian life. It's effort. It's work. It's pressing. It's noticing. It's holding on to what you've already got while still trying to press forward for more. Oh, but it's a blessed thing. It's a wonderful thing. It requires maintaining. By maintaining, it means keeping the right mindset. Look at verse 15. Let us therefore as, much, as many as be perfect be what? Thus minded. It requires keeping right habits. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Keep some of those right habits. Why? Because if you don't, oh man, your flesh will take over. How many knows if you just let your flesh reign and just do whatever it feels like, it never will get up. It never will quit eating. <laughs> it never will be satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied. You better set some parameters in place. You better set some... Dis Again, this isn't for your salvation. Obviously, in this message, we're talking about saved people. We're talking about people drawn close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping the right habits. That's his calling. Now, in closing, let's look at his conversation. Verses 17 to 21. Alright, the first thing he says in verse 17 is, Follow God's man. Brethren, be followers together of me. Does that mean I'm already there? No, he's already said I'm not there yet. Does that mean he's perfect? He says, no, I've already said I'm not perfect. But notice the direction I'm going. Find you somebody that's headed the right direction. Now, if somebody ever claims they're already there, yeah, don't follow him anymore. <laughs> you're not going to reach it down here. But you make sure that's the that Make sure that is their heading. Make sure that's the way they're going. He says in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me. Furthermore, notice others who do more, uh, other who do this for an example, for more examples or examples. Verse 17, And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. But I have to warn you, look out for the bad examples. 
Look at verses 18 and 19. For many walk. Now there are going to be plenty of bad examples. It's not one or two. Don't look out for the one or two bad eggs. That's not what he says. He says, no, many of them. Of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul warned them about, about them a lot. He was greatly saddened by them. You know why? Because he just didn't like them. Their personalities didn't mesh. No, that wasn't it. He gives the reason at the end of verse 18 is this. The enemies of the cross of Christ. When somebody's bringing a bad testimony on Jesus Christ, that ought to break our hearts. Amen. That ought to bother us. Now, I assure you, Paul's personality, the fact that he wasn't that good looking to look at, and used that crude speech that wasn't tickling to the ears and wasn't that pleasant, I assure you there were plenty of people who didn't care for his personality. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people that are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you know them? Verse 19. Here's, here's their telltale sign so you'll know them. Number one, whose end is destruction. They don't end well. At this point in human history, we know the kind of people that do not end up well. They're the ones that do what we call self-destructive behavior. When you see people doing that, that is not one of our guys we're supposed to be following. All right? Uh, the next thing we know, they worship the flesh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. You know, when you get a good feeling, you know where you get it? Right in your middle, don't you? When you are riding that roller coaster and you're getting that thrill, you feel a flutter in your belly, don't you? When your sweetheart says something just right to you, or they do on the romantic movie or in the romantic novel, you feel butterflies right in your middle, don't you? <laughs> I mean, when you get a good meal and it's one of your favorite things, don't you just feel so good and satisfied right in your belly? You know what the flesh is? The flesh is seated right in the belly. Amen. Whose God is their belly. So number one, they don't end well. Number two, they worship what feels good to them. If it feels good, do it. These are not the people to follow. They do not end well. They worship their flesh. Here's a good one. They are proud of things they should be ashamed of. Look at them. Whose glory is in their shame. Now let's be honest. We're all sinners. We all have some stuff we're ashamed of. But are we so ashamed of it that we don't talk about it much? Or are we blasting it out on the world wide web for people to see? When you're bragging about stuff you're supposed to be ashamed of wrong group whose glory is in their shame. We all have stuff we ought to be ashamed of but some of us know better than to brag about it. And some of us know to hang our heads about it. And some of us are trying to work on it. Whose glory is in their shame and here's a, a real censure and a clincher of it you might say. They think about worldly things. The last phrase there in verse 19 is, who mind earthly things. You want their mind is on? Stuff of this earth. What's the next fun thing? What's the next cool thing? What's the next money-making thing? What's the next delicious thing? What's the next gorgeous thing? What's the next 
entertaining, fun thing. Just something to do with this world. That is what their mind is on as they go to sleep, as they wake up, before they eat, after their meals, on their days off, even while they're working, while they're scrolling through their pictures of this world. Everything who mind earthly things. That's the ones to look out for. He said, verse 17, follow me and them which walk so as ye have us for an example. But look out for the ones that walk the other way. And he just gave you the description of them. So why? why? Why is that so different that they mind earthly things? Well, here's why. Because our life is in heaven. Look at verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. They mind earthly things. We're worried about eternal things. Did you know even now our minds are supposed to be on heaven? You say, yeah, that'll be great one of these days when we get to heaven. No, we're supposed to be thinking about it now. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to be thinking about where we're seated up there, even now. Remember, our bodies will be changed. Verse 21, back in Philippians 3 now. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? Now look at the end of verse 21 and we'll... Make one more comment before we close. Jesus can change you. Look at the end of verse 21. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You know what we ought to be praying regularly? Lord Jesus, change me. Amen. Lord, my natural man is concerned about this body. Make me more concerned about that spiritual body I might have forever. Lord, my natural man is concerned with this world. Make me be thinking about heaven. Lord, most people are looking at the people that are heading in self-destructive behavior. Oh, oh, how the elites and popular people in this world have always been in self-destructive behavior. I mean, even in ancient times, the ones that had the power, the ones that had the smarts, the ones that had the ability to sway huge crowds, most of them poor things, died tragic lives. One that I always think of because I just love his writings is Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I just think he's the greatest ever. I just can't imagine you taking English words and putting them together with the meaning and yet the rhymes that he did. I think he's just the best. You know what he did? He doped himself to death at a young age. It's almost like the being gifted in these worldly things has a relationship that makes you more, gives you a bigger tendency to self-destructive behavior. That's not who you want to follow, for goodness sake. But Jesus, you know what he can do? He can step in and change you. And buddy, if he can change the Apostle Paul, if he can change the one that was a terrorist, if he can change the one that was that sure he was right, he can change me and you who aren't nearly as smart or as set up as he was. All right, what did we see here? We saw the Apostle Paul's confidence back when he was Saul. We saw his counting. We saw his calling. And we saw his conversation. God help us.
right, I'm going to have just a word of prayer, and we won't have an invitation tonight because we're going to go to the Lord's Supper. But I'll have just a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then I'll open up to the passage.